Okay, if you get your handout out, we are in part four. We're looking at how we grow. And really, this is part two of last week. And so last week, I, was, I introduced this concept of divine effort. And, you know, I'm saying things that are unnatural for me to say. It's, it's unnatural for, uh, for me to talk about uh, our, anything that could possibly be misconstrued as our works. My, you know, so much of everything I'm doing all the time is trying to get people away from that. But within the, within the uh, realm of sanctification, uh, we play a role in our sanctification. We play zero role in our justification and zero role in our glorification, but we do play a role in our sanctification. So uh, let, we're going to talk about, we're going to push this effort uh, thing, make it a little clearer, and I'm going to give you a, an example tonight. So we'll ask this question. Does the gospel we preach have a natural tendency to produce disciples or just consumers of religious goods and services? You can see that I'm still not over the cleansing of the temple. It's still just working on me. You know, this whole issue of the way Jesus had such a visceral response to uh, this culture of convenience and how uh, so much of what God was showing me through that text was uh, just evident in the things that I see today. So life in the kingdom can only be realized if we become disciples, whereby we learn from Jesus how to live our lives in character and action as, he would as we would live out, he would live out our lives if he were us. In other words, what would he do if he were us? What, would, would, you know, what, would, what God would have us to do is what he would do. What's his character? What's his nature? What, what, how does God feel about things and so on and so forth? And so it's really a lot of, uh, you know, I feel a little schizophrenic that uh, I told Matt last week, I said, I didn't anticipate that these two, uh, what we're doing on Sunday and Wednesday evenings and what we're doing on Sunday mornings, we're going to careen together the way they have. But So here I'm trying to keep separated Nicodemus and everything we talked about this morning and this conversation we're going to have tonight, which is very difficult because they're all very intertwined and together. So if we think about what Jesus would do if he were living our lives for us, so in other words, we must engage in well-directed effort if we are to grow. And I think that goes without saying. You, you and me, we have to do something. If we do nothing, uh, um, you know, we could have a conversation at another time about whether or not a person who does nothing is saved or not. But let's just go under the assumption that you have two saved people and one chooses to engage in divine effort and the other one chooses not to, well, then nobody in their right mind would say that they're going to progress at the same pace, that they're going to, uh, after a set amount of time, after six months or a year or two years or five years or whatever the case may be, that they're going to end up in the same place. That's simply not going to happen. So the principle that we use to sort of launch ourselves into this is that God's not opposed to effort uh, but he is opposed to earning. And so it's very important that we distinguish between those two. That 
Effort, divine effort, is a wonderful thing. And it's what God called us to. And the scripture speaks much about it, as we'll see tonight. But earning is a very dangerous thing. And it will put you in a position where you will uh, not only not grow, but it will actually work in reverse. Because with earning, what comes with earning is eventual pride. And if you put yourself in a prideful position, for example, the, the scripture says that God knows the prideful from afar. And there's a thousand scriptures about uh, the damaging effects of pride in our lives, and that's what earning does. Uh, we live in a culture of entitlement, and there's a, there's a current running through uh, the church today uh, and, and certain theological, uh, in certain theological arenas where there's this position of entitlement towards God that because I've done certain things and because I do certain things and God in in so in some ways owes me which is really insane so in a world saturated with people who are deceived by a works-based religion and I do mean saturated let's unpack further what the scripture says uh, a means by effort as opposed to earning. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to take one specific word and we're just going to unravel it. And by the end of tonight, you should be able to see a perfect, clear example of exactly what I'm talking about. So Jesus himself used a word that embodies the call of effort and intentionality. And that word is repentance metaneo in the greek it is a very specific and wonderful word it doesn't mean 10 things it means one specific thing but it is a tremendous word that means so much and ought to mean so much to you and to me but at the same time because it's so wonderful it's also one of the most maligned and misunderstood words in all of scripture there is a, a plethora of uh, teachings and confusion and all sorts of man-centered ideas about repentance to get people all tangled up and and off track and I guess the easiest way to understand it is simply to to think about how many people when you say the word repentance think of something negative that is the first step towards letting you know that you utterly and completely misunderstand what repentance is. If it immediately puts a negative thought in your mind, repentance, you should, when you say repentance, you should think it's like saying, you know, rose petal. It ought to just make you feel good. You ought to be happy. You ought to think, man, that's beautiful. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's, it's one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave is the gift of repentance how in the world that we get so tangled around where uh, a word like that would mean something negative so in mark chapter one you see on your handout there jesus came to galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of god saying the time is fulfilled the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the gospel now i'm just going to make some very obvious illustration from that statement first of all Clearly, repentance is something that God leaves to us. 
to do. You see, the command is to repent. And then the onus is on the hearer. In other words, God doesn't repent for us. God simply calls us to repentance and then we respond. We, in the freedom of choice, make a decision whether we're going to repent or we're not going to repent. So God's not going to make you repent. He's not going to force you to do that. Repentance, if you study repentance and you study the way the Scripture teaches us about how repentance takes uh, hold of a, of a human heart, you'll see that it starts as a, an action of the mind and then the will. So there's a conscious decision to repent. So maybe you could say prior to the, the, the action of the mind would be the conviction of the heart. But it moves to the will. In other words, when the mind, because once it comes to your mind, then it's, it's not done by any stretch of the imagination. The mind is where you wrestle out whether you're going to do something or not do something, whether you're going to go to the left or go to the right. In other words, think of it this way. When you come to a fork in the road, it comes to your mind that there's a fork in the road. It comes to your mind that you're going to have to make a choice and go a direction. And it's in the mind that you begin to analyze and make decisions about whether you're going to go this way or go that way. And then from the mind, it engages the will, and the will is what drives the person to repentance. So repentance is... Let's be clear, not an emotion. It's not an emotion. So that will eliminate a lot of the wrong thinking and understanding about repentance. Because if it's not emotion, then it's not feeling sorry for your sin. You see, feeling sorry for your sin is, is just a natural response. I mean... The carnal, the carnal mind feels sorry for, uh, for sin. Sorry for, I mean, everyone's sorry when you get caught. Everyone's sorry when there's bad consequences. It's, it's not feeling sorry for your sin. It's far more than that. It's a decision. It's a decision. So there's no repentance without a decision. Now, Let's think about this decision for a minute. What exactly are we deciding when we repent? We're making this decision that we have been wrong in supposing that we could manage our own lives and that we could be our own God. You see, built into repentance is this understanding that there has to be a posture of humility, otherwise there would never be any repentance. If a person felt confident in their ability to make decisions and manage their life and, and take care of themselves, then what would be the need for repentance? In other words, humility plays a big role in repentance. And if you think back to uh, Pastor Matt's teaching on community, and you think about the things that we were talking about, how humility plays a role in 
your spiritual growth and your spiritual formation, and then you follow that through, and it just keeps building on to what we've talked about last week. And this week, you begin to see that uh, it's, a, it's a posture before God. So repentance is the realization that God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things or thinking the same old thoughts. Now, I'm talking about repentance in us. I'm not talking about repentance, a lost person repenting of their sin, although that is part of repentance. But what I'm primarily talking about is spiritual growth. We're not talking about spiritual birth. That was this morning. We're talking about spiritual growth. And so, so as a saved person... You and me, as we're living our lives, as we're going through life, we come to places in our life where we realize that we're repeating the same, uh, we're making the same mistakes. We keep finding ourselves back in the same place. We're not progressing the way we think we ought to, uh, to be progressing. Or, we, or God reveals things in our heart that are wrong and ought not be there. And whatever the case may be. A constant in the Christian life is this process of sort of, you know, realizing that if I do the same things, if I think the same thoughts, I'm going to keep coming back to the same places. I'm going to keep struggling with the same things. I mean, it's amazing to me that so many times in a spiritual conversation, we just leave out common sense. That doesn't happen to you? All the time that happens. All the time. And we have conversations with each other and we say things. And quite frankly, they just don't make sense. So, when, with regards to spiritual growth. So we could be having a conversation about Because anything, with, anything that has to do with spiritual growth is a, is a prime place to sort of bring condemnation or conviction so if we have a if if we have a room full of people and i start talking about reading your bible then then the 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 countenance of the faces looking looking back at me change because there's a perfect example of a place where people struggle they struggle for all sorts of reasons. But I'm talking about how in our struggle we, we just leave common sense. Okay, So when I'm talking to, to people about reading their Bible. And, and we're, you know, we're just having an open conversation about it. And, and I'm just asking them. I'm saying, well, how's that going for you? you know? I mean, it's safe. Let's talk about this. They say, well, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm really, I struggle. And I said, okay, well, talk to me about how you struggle. You know, and they said, well, I want to read my Bible, but every time I start reading my Bible, I fall asleep. Okay. So you're just being honest. But have you thought about that? In other words, who just says, well, I need to, I need to read the Scripture because I, I want to know more about my father. And I want to, I, I know that when I read the scripture, it, 
is greatly beneficial to me and it's something that you know I need to do not because not because I have to but because I want to I want to see there's a lot of things in my life that I want to do that if I don't if I don't intentionally put well-directed effort into it they're not gonna happen right I mean you can want to have a good marriage but good luck with that that's not how that works so if you want to read your Bible, and every time you read your Bible you fall asleep, then what are you going to do? Are you going to keep falling asleep? But I'm just being honest with you. I'm having a conversation with you. And you say to me, Pastor, every time I read my Bible I fall asleep. And, and I'm not, you know, jumping up and hollering and screaming. But in my mind I might be, but I'm not doing that. And I'm looking at you and I'm saying, have you really thought about this? See, what you're expecting me to say is, don't you know how important it is to read your Bible? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, why don't you just stand up at the kitchen counter and read your Bible? You won't fall asleep. Just common sense, right? If you fall asleep every time you read your Bible, stop reading your Bible in the lazy boy. Stop reading your Bible in bed. You've trained your body to go to sleep when you lay down. Don't read your Bible laying down. I've never had anybody say, I was reading my Bible, stand up, I just fell over. <laughs> right? Neither have you. So why is it that... Now, now, imagine if you just, if you just ignored common sense at work, how that's going to go over for you. You know, I mean, what if you just walk in and tell your boss something stupid like that? And he just looks at you, you know, and you go, well, I'm just standing outside because, uh, you know, my key wouldn't go in the door. And so I've been standing. Where have you been all day? I've been standing outside. So you didn't think to call? Tell us to open the door and let you in? Well, no, I just stood there. As if you thought the key was magically going to start to... You see what I mean? You wouldn't do that. But when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we'll, we'll say, well, I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about, doing the same things, thinking the same thoughts. I mean, I'm, I'm just being elementary here. My experience has told me over the last 25 years that, that when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we will absolutely just ignore all common sense and, and, and think like a like a kindergartner well I I don't pray like I should I really want to well okay what's the what's the hold up I mean tell me what the struggle is well every time I pray I get distracted okay where do you pray well uh, at my desk. Okay, that's a problem. What's on your desk? 50 million things. Okay, well, don't pray at your desk. You'll, you'll well, I was going to say, you, you'll never see me praying at my desk because, if, boy, if you're going to get distracted, you'll see my desk. But uh, I don't pray at my desk. I don't pray with my cell phone around. I mean, why? Because I want to pray. You see what I mean? Like, Maybe 
Just think about it for a second. I mean, is there some area of your life where you'd like to grow in? Well, I'm just being, I'm just being as, as transparent as I possibly can. Why are you not? You, if you have a desire, if you have a, a born-again, new heart desire to read your Bible more or to pray more, then why are you not doing that? And I guarantee you, if you just stop thinking the same thoughts and doing the same things, you can simply resolve that. So here's what happens. We, we hinder our growth. Here's how we're hindering growth. We're literally thwarting our spiritual growth. Now, nobody wants to do that. Nobody. There's nobody in this room that want to do that. But I guarantee you'd be amazed by how much of it's going on. Just simply because we're... we're We've just accepted defeat in something. We're not thinking it through. We're not trying to resolve it. We're just, you know, because you're just, you're just failing at it. You're failing at it, you know? First John chapter 1 gives us examples of how not to respond to sin, how to thwart growth in our life with regards to sin. It's a, it's a great example. In chapter 6, the scripture says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, if we just think about these three statements, they sound like, you know, Typically, when I come over to your house, I don't see the, any of those verses on a plaque over your kitchen sink. You know, they seem kind of harsh, but they're really wonderful, right? So, first of all, to believe that you could fellowship with God and live like a pagan. Well, now, now when you say it that way, Pastor, well, well nobody thinks that. Well, what? Well, yes, they do. And a lot of people live that way. You see, if somehow when, we, when we're reading the Scripture and we say, well, if we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, it's just sort of like, you know, uh, you know, we start negotiating with it. But if I just paraphrase it and say, well, to believe like you could fellowship with God and live like a pagan, well, I mean, that's hypocrisy. That's absurd. Who would say that? No one would say that. Well, then, why would people live that way? Why would anybody in, in, in any realm of understanding or rationality come to that conclusion? What about the second statement? To claim that as a Christian, you, Christian that you don't have a sin nature anymore. I mean, now you could use the word excuse, you could use the word denial, or you could use... Maybe my favorite word, which would be insanity. Any of those three words would fit there. But, you know, this falls under the category of this, uh, of, a, of a doctrine called perfectionism. But that's another discussion for another day. The point is, is that a person, who, who would claim that as a Christian you don't have a sin nature anymore? I mean, you, you would, just saying it, it's like, well, that just sounds insane. Well, yeah, it does. Because it is insane. Because that's just living in denial and excuse. That's not true. 
Or how about to claim that you've actually stopped sinning? Not that you don't have a sin nature anymore, but that you, you've just stopped. I've had people tell me before, I don't sin anymore. I'm like, you just did. <laughs> what? Who? What planet are you on? It's just unadulterated pride. Okay, so living as if you could fellowship with God and live like a pagan, that's going to... That's gonna, Thwart your, you know, all of these are like spiritual cigarettes. They're going to stunt your growth, okay? If you're, if you're living as if you no longer have a sin nature. In other words, what I mean by that is that you, you know, you meet people. Maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe you can remember a time in the not-so-distant past where you were sort of, you know, frolicking around sin as if I got this under control. Like, I know that's bad or I know that's wrong, but I can control myself. I can, I can not go too far. I can. That's a very, very foolish thing to think. Very foolish. Or to think that you've stopped sinning altogether. So, how about advancing our growth? How do we advance it? Now, advancing your growth. It's not going to come the way that you probably would be accustomed to think that it would come. In other words, a lot of people would think that the way that growth is advanced is well, you need somebody to stand up with a microphone in their face and just scream and yell at you and threaten you and, and you know, just pound you and into submission until you realize and, and give up and begin to do the things you ought to do. Well, sorry, that's not going to be tonight or ever. Your vision of Christ is proportionate to your assumption or assuming responsibility. You see, it all boils down to who is Jesus? What you think about when you think about God. It's your vision of Him. It's your... It's, see, your vision of him, it doesn't have anything to do with who he genuinely is, but it has everything to do with how you're going to respond to that. You know the old saying that perception is truth to the beholder. Well, that's absolutely true spiritually. That if you've got a jacked up idea about who Christ is, then you're going to have a lot of trouble. A lot, a lot of trouble. Which again goes back to, why, if you're falling asleep when you're reading your Bible, you've got to come to some resolution in that. Because how else are you going to know the character and nature of God? Right? And so, your vision of God is going to be tied, I mean, tethered to your assumption of responsibility for who you are. You see, your, the degree tonight to which you take responsibility for who you are which, again, you know, these are things I could talk all night about. You think, here we are on Sunday night. I mean, we got the faithful remnant here. And there's a whole, there, I mean, there's no doubt that there's some of you in this room. And you don't, you're not taking the level of responsibility for who you are that you ought to. 
That when I if, so, if I, if I just pose the question to you, who are you? You immediately, your thoughts start going to your mom, your dad, your upbringing, your environment, things that have been done to you, that have conditioned you. You're passing the buck. You're passing the buck. And at the root of that is a problem with your vision about who Christ is. You see, if you genuinely know who Christ is, what he's capable of, and what his desire is for you, you wouldn't pass the buck. You would, you would run and bear hug responsibility of who you are because you want Christ to be right in the middle working on that. Amen? Yeah, absolutely. So you may hear me reference the, the, the pain and the, and the dysfunction and all of the, the things that I uh, endured in my childhood. But trust me, don't ever misunderstand and think I'm passing the buck for that. Oh, no. No, no. God is more than sufficient. He has more than, than he, he's made up a million times in me anything that's ever been done to me, and he'll do the same thing for you. What about what you are? You know, that's, it's not your spouse's fault. It's not your employer's fault. It's not your education's fault. It's not your... It's not all the things that we would want to not assume responsibility for as a believer. Listen, what about what you've done? See, there, there may be some of you in here tonight and, and, and you feel like you're taking responsibility for who you are and what you are. But boy, when it comes to your past, that's a whole nother conversation. And it's all still unresolved back there. And so wherever you go and whatever you do, you're dragging this Samsonite behind you that's loaded down with all these things from your past. That you haven't engaged. And listen, again, simple. Th this is just, when, when, I, when I talk to you, when I meet somebody like that, I, I, and I have some confidence that I'm talking to a, a follower of Jesus, I, I go, why would you do that? Don't you know who he is? Man. I mean, there, there really is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not just words. That's a reality. Folks, he will heal your past. He will heal it. He'll redeem it. He will, he will use what was terrible and what was, will always be terrible for your good in your present. But you've got to engage him in that. And what about what you can do? You know, maybe I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to narrow this too far, but the truth of the matter is that every time I think about this, I just I think about you ladies. I just think about how common this is for you to just... Not believe what great things God can do with you and in you. Listen, you're his daughter. 
or his son. And you don't have any, there's no, there's no ranking order in the family. There's no, we're all completely and fully beloved as his children. And when you think about what you can do, if you, if you know Christ as who he says he is, then you really understand. You really, really understand that no matter how weak you feel, no matter how marginalized you uh, are made to, to be by the world around you, you really can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You really can. And I, it breaks my heart to think about how many dreams die before they ever even have a chance to take flight because we don't engage Christ in what we can do. So in 1 John 1, 9, because we're talking about repentance, the scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, amen. That's some good news, isn't it? Yes. So what, what am I saying is going to advance your growth is practicing 1 John 1, 9 is going to be a phenomenal uh, cultivator of spiritual growth and formation in your life right there. Confession and repentance is, is, is like unbelievable fertilizer on the soil of your soul. So does this mean that saved people are not totally forgiven or that we can lose our salvation? Of course it doesn't. But it does bring up a very good question that I know a lot of you ask and maybe never out loud or have never really gotten clarification on, but, well, so, so if you're a Christian, then all your sin for all time is forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 and Psalm 103 and 150 other places. Okay, so if that's true, then I think a fair question is, then why would a totally forgiven person ask for forgiveness? And if I'm totally forgiven, why would I ask for forgiveness? And that doesn't make any sense to me. And, how, and, and you're telling me that it's, that it's going to advance my, my, my growth and my spiritual formation, then why would I do that? It doesn't, I'm, I'm fully forgiven. I, I don't understand. Wouldn't I just be asking for something that's already been granted? Wouldn't that be strange? Why does the scripture say this? Well, because God, the righteous judge, has wiped away the penalty of our sin and salvation. He's wiped it away. That's why the legal term justification means to be declared not guilty. So the, the, the highest court in the universe, the, the, the gavel comes down on the bench. And the God of the universe, the God of scripture, Yahweh God, declares you not guilty. And so as judge, he wipes away the penalty of your sin. And at the same time, God the loving Father is still grieved by the presence of sin in our lives. Because we're remember, we're being honest with who we are. And so we're engaging with, with God. And God, God as a loving Father wants things for us. And they're not the things that we would naturally gravitate towards they're not the things that we would naturally dream up you know it's it's 
You know, if, if we ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, help me know how to pray, he says, well, let things be done on earth as they are in heaven. You see, that's important information, though. It seems very simplistic and elementary, but it's very important because you have to understand something. That there wasn't, it wasn't in the throne room of earth. It wasn't in, the, in, in Tony's prayer closet. You know, God, why don't you, I don't know, make me a pastor? No. It's not even on my radar screen. Nor are most of the things that God wants to do in your life. So how, if you don't know what they are, then how are they going to come about? Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is why you want to be a person that, that, that lives in and abides in the principle of 1 John 1.9. Because in that process of just, listen, what, what can you do? There's a lot of things you can't do. In other words, there's a lot of things. You, you can't pursue something if you don't know what it is and where it is, right? That, that, is that fair? That's fair. And again, like I told you last week and when we started this process, when I start talking about spiritual formation, the only context I have is my own. And so it would be great if I could stand up here and talk about you because it would be more comfortable for me to just discuss your spiritual formation but I don't know your story but I know this I don't know what God's doing in my life I don't know where God's leading me I don't know how this this is going to work out but I know I know some things about his character and nature and here's what I know in my infantile understanding of God I know that God doesn't want sin in my life is that fair yes and so I just develop a spiritual discipline of abiding in this confession and repentance to get it out of my life. And so I'm just dealing with what I know. And in dealing with what I know, in dealing with what God has revealed, then what happens? Where do you go? You go to all the places you don't know. You see all the things you never see. But if you don't, if you don't venture down that road, it doesn't happen. Don't you understand that? It's sort of like you, you have to think about yourself spiritually. You and I, as we're walking in this life, in this journey, we never know what hangs in the balance. Is that fair? You don't know. You don't know what hangs in the balance. You got that? You don't know. So when you're making decisions, you don't know you don't know where that's going to lead. You don't know what the consequences of that are. So if you're making bad decisions, what do you do? You lie to yourself and you tell yourself, well, I'm not going to get caught or it's not going to be that bad or this or that. Or it's going to be worth it or whatever. And then we go off into sin. If you're making good decisions, what do we do? The same thing. We just marginalize things. We, we, we make up stuff in our head and we think, well, you know, it's, it's really not necessary or God knows my heart or What would happen if just collectively, just you, this small group of people, what if you all collectively tonight, if the only thing that happened tonight when you leave here, you just in your heart, you just absorb this reality that says, okay, I have, I don't know, I don't know what, what God's doing, I don't know where God's leading me, I don't know what God wants to do, I don't, but here's what I do know. And I'm just going to do that. I'm going to put intentional, divine effort into that. I'm going to become a person of 
repentance. I'm going to become a person of confession. I'm going to, be a, I'm going to, I'm going to devote myself to ridding my life of things that, are, that I know are unpleasing to God, and I'm just going to let Him reveal the rest of things and all the other things that He wants to do in their due time to me. And when I get there, it'll be, it'll be great. What would happen? Well, there's a bunch of you in this room that, first of all, right off the bat think, well, I'm too old. I ain't got time. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about this this great God, this miracle-working, sovereign, all-powerful God. Don't underestimate what He can do in a short amount of time. I'm too young. I'm too broken. I'm too ignorant. I'm too you fill in the blank. It's all lies. It's not true. You see, the problem is we, we want to walk in places where we don't belong. You see, the destination is, is, is to be blunt, the destination is none of your business. Okay? It's none of your business. And I mean, I mean that lovingly as I can tell you. I mean, the whole process of spiritual formation in my life was, was simply God revealing one extraordinarily crazy thing after another that made absolutely no sense to me, that just one after another. And I just kept doing the same thing. I just kept walking in what I knew. If you do that, you would be amazed at what God would do. But here's the, the, the caveat. You don't know what hangs in the balance. You see, that's the, the catch. You see, tonight, you, you don't know what you've missed out on. You don't know what you could miss out on. Just like me. I don't know what I've missed out on. You don't think that I, I don't think to myself. I don't look back at my, at, through the process of preaching through these sermons. I don't look back and think to myself, you know, God, what else could you have done in me? Look back at, at, at decisions or seasons of my life and thought, you know, God, what, what, other, you know, what, what other things were there? Sure. You see, we don't know what hangs in the balance. So he's a righteous judge and he's a loving father. In 1 John chapter 2, the scripture says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation of our sin. Now again, there's a... a clear promise, a clear invitation by a loving father to his children that says you, you, have, an, you have an open door to come. Is the door open to everyone all the time? No. It is not. It's open to his children. 
You say, now, wait a minute. I'm saying, well, I knew you would say, now, wait a minute. So get your pens out and just write down 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. That's the passage of Scripture where uh, the Bible says that God desires that all men should be saved. Right? And then under that, I want you to write down 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. Because that's a passage of Scripture that says, if perhaps God will grant repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That See, when you're talking about repentance, you have to define who are we talking about here. Are we talking about children repenting? Because that's one thing. Or are we talking about pagans repenting for their sin? That's another thing. Because, see, we know this Jesus. He knows all men. He knows what's in them. And there's times where he, doesn't, he, he chooses not to entrust himself to people. Because he knows. And so the scripture tells us that you, there's no guarantee that God's going to grant repentance because why? Not because God doesn't desire to save all men, but because not all men will be saved. Because God knows what's in them. Right? So just think with me, right? Doesn't that all make sense? Of course it does. So God desires for His children to live holy lives. But He also knows that we can't. So as a loving Father, that's what He's saying in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. We, he makes provision for us by giving us this advocate in Jesus Christ. So Him God has exalted to the right hand of the, the Father to be the Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That there He is... A, our, our advocate before the Father so, so that we, we pray to the Father through Jesus, if you will, which is extraordinary to think about. So here's what I'm trying to, to get you to, to see, is that when you as His child, when we repent, what we're doing is we are thrusting ourselves on one thing, and only one thing, which is the grace of God. You see that His children have unlimited access to grace. And in that, you have unlimited access to repentance. And so if if everything that I said tonight all sort of builds up inside of you, then what you realize is that you have unlimited access to grow, right? Yes, you have unlimited access to grow. Unlimited. Because Romans chapter 2 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, right? Yeah. Remember I said it's your vision of who Christ is that's going to connect to how you accept res responsibility? Well, it's the goodness of God. So what is that verse saying? If you don't, the, the degree to which you see God is good, you know, if you have a repentance problem and you're, and you're a child of God, then you have, a, you have a Jesus problem. You have a vision problem. You have a view problem. You, you're, your problem is in how you're seeing the Lord Jesus. 
Because as we thrust ourselves on the grace of God, we, we recognize that we could never earn it. We could never deserve it. Yet in repentance, God's grace is extended to me no matter what my circumstances are. My goodness, I just... Oh. It's been a long day. I've been up since four, but I could start screaming about now. Man, that is some seriously good news. I'm just so grateful. I mean, His grace is extended no matter what my circumstances are. All right. So let's pull this all together. So how do you know if you've repented? Because I don't want you to leave here tonight all jazzed up about something and then, you know, not even know, you know, sometime during the course of the week, think, well, I don't even know what I'm doing. Okay, well, let's talk about it for a second. When you see both that you're a wicked sinner and that you're cherished and loved. See, repentance brings this clarity to the whole scenario. You know, when, you, when your vision of Christ is right and you're, you're drawn to this gift of repentance, you know, I, I guess uh, I said in my Sunday school class today, I said, I don't know what's wrong with me today. I'm sharing too much. And so here we go again. So, uh, you know, there's, there's the, I have these these places in my mind, these memories of, 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 of my walk with the Lord where times in my life where I've, I've, I've walked in the flesh and I walked away and, I, and I, I knew that I walked in the flesh there. You know, I said something I shouldn't have said or I thought something I shouldn't have thought or whatever the case may be. And, I, and it just... It just, it's, it burned me like hot coals going down my throat. You know, it's just, man. And I, and so like in my own private world, you know, like I, I walk out of a situation, I get in my truck and I, I, I'm, I can't get back to my office quick enough because the whole way I'm just trying to get there, get there, get there. Now it's not like I, I can, I can just repent Anywhere, right? I mean, I could just pull off on the side of the road or run off into the woods and repair whatever. But, but in my mind, it's like I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wanting to get back and I'm wanting to get in my little special quiet place away from everybody and everything. Because I just feel like there's something between me and my Heavenly Father that's unresolved. And I don't like that. I want it to be resolved. And so I want to get with God, and I, and I just want to say, God, I know, you, I know you know that. I know you saw that. I know you know how I feel about that, but, but I, just, I, need to, I just need to express to you, you know, my, my understanding of the wickedness in my heart. And I just, want to, I just want to rejoice in how much you cherish and love me. It almost makes me want to start crying thinking about it. I mean, there's no earthly relationship like that. It doesn't exist. 
Look, I don't want to have aught with my wife. And, and if, there's, if I say something I shouldn't say, I feel bad about it. And I, I ask for forgiveness about it. I want to work through it. I want to, but, but that's not the same thing. No. We're talking about a whole other level of intimacy. Mom, I'm having a conversation with somebody that knows everything about me. Knows me better than I know me. Knows that I'm wicked and loves me and cherishes me. See, I just want to leave right now and just let y'all pack this thing up and just go scoot up in my little room with the Lord and shut the door and say, leave me alone. So here's, here's my, such a, my favorite quote about repentance from J.I. Packer. Repentance is turning from as much as you know about your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of God. I just love that quote. Because again, it just drives home what I'm saying about, you know, if you just do what you know, let God, just let God figure it all out. Because I can tell you that the chances of you if, 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 you, if, if God takes you somewhere and it's where you expected to be, then God didn't take you there. You took you there. That's just my opinion. God's never taken me anywhere I expected to be. Because His ways aren't our ways and His thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so if He took me somewhere I expected to be, then my thoughts and His thoughts would be the same and that would be bad. The longer that we walk in obedience to Christ, the more we have an opportunity to grow in repentance. You see, the thing about repentance is it just gets sweeter. You know, there's a lot of things that, that, that get old. And I mean, I don't know. We don't have time to talk about it. But, but there are things, and, and it's the truth, you know. It just is. I mean, things are just, you know, there, there's never, there's so many things about, about the Christian life that, 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 you know, you just, you, 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 you just think back to the first time you saw that, the first time God did that, the first time, you, and you just like, wow, you know, and you think, but you know, there's only one first time. And he's still wonderful, and he's still amazing, but repentance isn't that way. Repentance just keeps getting better. And better, and better, and better. The longer you walk, the more you repent, the better it gets. Man, the more encouraging it gets, the more, the more it just becomes like, like food that just holds you up. Mm. So here's an illustration as we close. I always talk about repentance as in the context of a farmer. So here you are tonight, you're a farmer. How fruitful your life in Christ will be is determined by your effort and work in the field. But your, your field, well we're missing a slide, but your field has unlimited potential. So you're a farmer and your relationship with Christ is a field with unlimited potential. And how fruitful your life is going to be is going to be determined by your effort and work in the field. Now, you know, crops just aren't going to spring up, are they? No. 
You're going to have to go sow the seed. You're going to have to till the ground. You're going to have to you're going to have to engage yourself in what's going on. But when you do, the, the reward is great. And so repentance in this scenario is the tool. It's the shovel. I always call the shovel of repentance. It's the shovel that enables you to dig down deeper and deeper into the richer and richer soil that produces the greater and greater harvest. My goodness. So good. Have you ever thought to yourself, so if I could go back, if I could go back to the day that God saved me, not if I could go back and, and do it all over again, but if I could just go back to the day that God saved me and I could just relive my spiritual life over again. If I could go back and relive the last 25 years over again, what, what would I change? What would you change? And probably there's a multitude of things that you'd say, you know, I would do these things differently. But you know what's at the top of my list? I'd repent more. That's what I'd do. If I could go back and do it all over again, if I could just have harnessed and grabbed onto this blessing of repentance earlier on and clung to it with greater and greater ferocity, that's what I'd do. So praise the Lord, maybe as you leave here tonight, you can just simply... Take common sense, apply it to what you do know. And let God take you where he wants you to be. And let's all together be amazed at where that is. For the Christian, there ought to never be a time when there's not a dream in your heart that you don't even really know what the dream is. It's just a dream. It's a dream that God might do something. You don't know what it is, it's, but it's just a dream that you have a father that loves you and, he, and he's active and he wants to do kingdom work in you. So I'm just going to walk. I'm going to take baby steps. I'm going to row the boat. I'm going to use whatever terminology you want to use and let him take you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of repentance.